north of Sweden. Wild nature and endless plains without a human being in sight. Occasional reindeer struggling to survive in perpetual darkness. Ice, snow, hopelessness. Well, no. At this time of the year, the north of Sweden has more daylight than the southern parts of the country. Forget that old cliché about silent, struggling people in the wilderness and say hello to the creativity and passion of game developers and digital entrepreneurs. The north is becoming a new and vibrant hub for the booming CG business, and in the town of Skellefteå, the ever-growing Nordsjön festival of games, culture and creativity is attracting more and more visitors. Welcome to a special episode of Yellow Brick Road, and welcome to Nordsjön. Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagergren and this is Yellow Brick Road, your very special little podcast about visual effects, animation and digital mastery. And today I'm talking to you from Skellefteå, a CG and games hub in northern Sweden. We're at Nordsjön, an event that grows every year and celebrates the passion, craft and business of games, VFX and all those things that we who work in this business love so much. Nordsjön premiered in 2012 and for every year it keeps growing. The 2018 edition is held at Skellefteåkraft Arena with 10,000 square meters of exhibitions and adventures. There are many activities at Nordsjön, workshops, art exhibitions, comics, cosplay events and plenty of gaming of course. And there are many noteworthy guests here and one of those celebrity guests is Fred Malmberg, the man who introduced role-playing board games in Sweden. The man behind Dragons and Demons, Mutant Year Zero and owner of the Conan the Barbarian franchise. We'll talk to him about his amazing journey later in this episode, but first I would like you to meet my first two guests, directly from the Goodbye Kansas booth at Nordsjön, compositing artist Dennis Holovianko and 3D artist Joachim Olsson. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Dennis, you've been with us before, but Joachim, this is your first time on Yellow Brick Road. Yeah. Uh, so here comes the classic question. How did you find your way into the wonderful world of VFX? Uh, it's quite a long story, <laughs> but it, uh, it all began with uh, like making games for hobby, like 15 years ago. In the beginning, I made games in PowerPoint because I didn't know how to actually make games, but I really wanted to make games. And then after a while, I thought like I need to improve my skills, go for school or something, and I found uh, an academia, like a 3D generalist school. And it was actually the first day of the school when they show like this is the thing you can do. Ah. When working with 3D, like uh, you can make, uh, you can work with uh, visual effects in movies, games, and everything. And that was like the first time I thought, like, yeah, I can make cool stuff for movies and uh, all those things. <laughs> and uh, five years later, here I am. So. Lovely, it's great to have you. Here. So, Goodbye Kansas has a booth at Nordsjön, but it's not the first time. You guys were here last year as well yeah. with mm -hmm. the Goodbye Kansas School of VFX. What was that, Dennis? That was very exciting, but also very crazy. Uh, last year we were here, so we, we had sort of a workshop every day of the expo, and people could sign up, and we, had, uh, we brought computers with us, we brought software, and we basically, for eight hours or like seven hours in a row, yeah. we just taught them and showed them how, how we would be 
Yeah, we re recreated a uh, shot from Kung Fury. Uh, like a quite simple explosion with yeah. it. Nice. But, but took them uh, like from, from the beginning to the end, from making 3D yeah. and then compositing it in with a live footage keying. It was... Yeah, from uh, the actual movie. From the actual movie, yeah. So now, when we think about it, it's pretty crazy. Because, like, that's, that's a proper workshop, mm. like hardcore workshop, when you get to learn proper, real software, almost like without compromise. Yeah, and, and that's intense seven hours. But people, people loved it. Yeah, and everyone delivered some really cool stuff. Yeah, so they really. They and really we have like a, one kid was like thirteen years old, I think, mm. the youngest one, mm. and he still made it through and made some <laughs> awesome computer shot. That's yeah. one future so. VFX artist. Yeah, I think so. Let's hope so. And uh, this year, you, you don't have a school of VFX, but you have several things going on. You are, you're the brain behind some of these things. For example, that visitors can try a kind of light version of mocap and be Ducks the Duck, one of the characters from Funcom's upcoming game, Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden. Uh, how does that work? We're using the, the Vive headset with a, a couple of extra Vive trackers mm. attached to the feet and to the hips. Uh, and then we use this to like, add motion capture to the duck. It's not the same setup that we have in Uppsala, because in Uppsala we have a more advanced technique to capture everyone with reflective balls and stuff. But it, in the end it produces the same output, sort of. Yeah. Because, like, we retarget the m movement of a human <laughs> onto like the duck. And the so, person also has a VR Yeah, so you can experience on. it. So, he's so you see your, yourself, your, you see the duck hands and stuff. And, and the game uh, is developed by Bearded Ladies uh, Studio that's also in the Goodbye Kansas family, so to say. And Goodbye Kansas Studios did the cinematic for it. And, and when you tried this uh, thing, you're inside that same room that you see in, in the cinematic. Yeah, we used the exact same asset from the trailer. We did the exact same duck. Everything is... <laughs> it's the trailer, more or less, yeah, like exactly. in, in real time in so VR. You can, you can be so. sort of inside that scene in the cinematic. That's cool. uh, you are the the duck in, yeah. in that room, and uh, it's very cool. How has uh, people reacted to the when they tried it today? They think it's awesome. <laughs> it's really... Most the kids, right? Yeah, uh, it's really they were really impressed. Uh, I think most people are like generally impressed by VR, but also like actually seeing your body in VR, and like, uh, yeah. even if it's a duck. We have to so, mention we have uh, a cosplay competition going on at the same time. Yeah. They're the kids. That's why that's <laughs> Cosplaying the kids in the background. Yeah. Awesome. There's lots of things happening yeah. on the yeah. and, and apart from the ducks experience, what, what other things can you do at the Good Back Kansas Studios? We have uh, Funny God, which is a VR game developed by our own VR studio. Mm -hmm. uh, we, are, we, we take the role as four, the Funny God, oh. and you protect a small village from uh, attacking giants. And throwing the hammer. Yeah, Mjolnir. <laughs> and people are loving it. Yeah. Uh, we've been, we, have, we have had a lot of kids, uh, mostly. Uh, and adults, but kids are just kind of like zombies in yeah. Walking Dead. They're just like wide-eyed coming in, just like <laughs> looking at it. And, and uh, it's really cool. And a lot of these kids have never tried VR before. Uh -huh. So for them, it's... Uh, Really excited! You really get to see them. Uh, one, one one guy, he got so into it. You could see like he was just he was he was there. Mm -hmm. He he was playing Thunder God. Yeah. He was there. You could see like he <laughs> he was like breathing. He was he was literally battling the giants. It was yeah. really exciting.
that's the experience we want. Yeah, exactly. you, you never forget But, your first VR experience. Yeah. And I think Nordsjön is the perfect place to like try VR for the first time. Like you have, I think it's uh, like a handful of booths with different kinds of VR experiences. Mm. Perfect. And what else can you do at the booth? Uh, we also have a station when, uh, where visitors can get help to get their own uh, motion graphics for their mm. Twitch stream or their YouTube uh, channel. Uh, because we got a lot of those kinds of requ requests last year. Where people oh, yeah. were not so much interested in this heavy VFX, but more of a light version. Like, oh, can we just have some simple quick graphics for our uh, streams and mm. channels and stuff? So that's why we have a dedicated uh, workstation with After Effects on it. So we can just help people get something fun out there. Mm -hmm. And we also got small USB drives that uh, people get actually take home. And then obviously uh, the visitors can meet you guys. Uh, yeah. How many are you? There's like seven or eight people. I think we're going to be... We're gonna be like okay. rotating and stuff, but we are approximately yeah, approximate like, like six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. What's the most common question you get from visitors at the booth? Uh, who are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but but, but, but yeah. It, it is so. People coming in, they don't they don't know who we are, and uh, it's kind of hard because we do so many things, and they yeah. watch it at one reel, and they're like, "Oh, you guys making games?" But then we have another reel with uh, Walking Dead, and like, "Oh, you make movies?" And then we have a mocap uh, reel, and they're like. What is that? Mm. So uh, it's uh, interesting to, to get to explain, like, oh, we do lots of stuff. But uh, the Good Kansas booth is obviously just a small part of Nordsjön. Uh, have you had time to look around at the other things? There is always a bunch of stuff. There is There's uh, so much going on. Yeah, and exactly. what's fun thing about Nordsjön, it's not only like your regular uh, nerdy t-shirts and uh, posters. There's also a bunch of activities and game developers and game uh, schools and like a bunch of art schools. And uh, artists are here. And, and the artists, that's another thing. There's like a bunch of artists. Well, you already mentioned uh, Fred Manberg, mm. but for example, Johan Egekrans is coming yeah. uh, and uh, uh, Andre Wallen is here. Yeah. So there's a bunch of artists that are here and uh, are going to meet their, their audience, their fans. Uh, cosplay is a big part of uh, of Nordsjön, so you get you get to see a lot of people just walking around in costumes. And, and there also there's a big lawn. Land. And, and you get <laughs> yeah. the huge lawn. They I mean, estimate 3, like thousand people or yeah. something. Yeah, so, just mm. playing games. And then they're gonna have Counter Strike uh, tournaments, Overwatch tournaments, Battlegrounds uh, tournaments, yeah. probably Fortnite. I don't know. Okay, I, I know that people are queuing down at the Goodbye Kansas booth, so you need to rush down there. So thanks a lot for this little chat. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. So, visitors at Nordsjön can become one of the characters of Funcom's Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden. And now I'm joined by a very special guest, the man behind Mutant Year Zero and many other classic games, entertainment industry veteran and film and game producer Fred Malmberg. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Fred, you've been in the gaming business since forever, it seems. Uh, how did it all start? It started in the 70s when I was a kid. Uh, somewhere in the countryside of Sweden, I was 10 years old, 8 years old maybe, and played all the Swedish family games. Pretty much like, you know, Risk, all those things, and you started to make your own Risk version, and uh, sooner or later uh, I found myself making little war games and starting to sell those little war games. 
in the mid 1970s when I was like 14, young teenager, mm. and then um, that's how it just started, and then it went on from there to role playing games and family games, and then video games, and there you go. And, and there's lots of, of classic games back there, like Dragons and Demons, for example. Yes, the Swedish Drakkar Demoner. I went when I was, I think it was, I was just out of uh, university, which I dropped out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my statistics course, I realized that I am not going to do this. I will go to the United States and work in the game industry, which I did for a year until they kicked me out on my tourist visa. But I <laughs> befriended a lot of people that I had known from before, but then I got to really know them. Uh, one of my favorite teams over there was Chaosium. Chaosium was a very cult, uh, uh, hip game maker at the time. They were working on Call of Cthulhu when I was there, so I'm one of the credited playtesters of Call of Cthulhu. Mm. Also, Elric Stormbringer. I'm a, I was a playtester on that. This was in my um, evening shift, so to speak. So those guys also had a very successful role-playing game called RuneQuest. And when I went back to Sweden, I had seen the light of how big role-playing games were in the United States. I had to do a Swedish one. Mm. and brought the license back to do uh, just basically the engine. Looking back, I probably wouldn't have had to license it, but they were my friends. I said, can I use this game engine and we'll make a Swedish game called Draka Oktimoner, which is Swedish for Dragons and Demons, as you say. And that was in 1982. And Mutant, which was the first truly Swedish-developed game, uh, including the game system and everything, takes place in a post-apocalyptic Sweden. Uh, That was published in 1984. And I think that game hit the, the heart of all the middle graders who played role-playing games in Sweden. So I think uh, while Draken and Water was commercially a bigger game, I think mm. Matant was probably the game that stuck to people's hearts. Yeah. So it never died. It just kept coming in new editions. So in 1989, we did the Cyber Mutant. And then in 1992, came Mutant Chronicles. And then uh, in uh, the early 2000s, Fredrik Wester, who is a big uh, entrepreneur and um, and uh, CEO, well, he's now the chairman of uh, Paradox Interactive. He and his college friends brought out Mutant Undergångens uh, Arvtagare. Mm. And then the current iteration is by um, uh, Fria Liga in Sweden. They came up with Mutant Ornol, which is Mutant Year Zero, mm. which has become a, v- a big success internationally. We have language editions even in Brazil I think so there's a Brazilian Portuguese a Portuguese a Russian Chinese German French and now Funcom is doing the video game iteration coming out this year exciting yeah and especially because here there is a special Goodbye Kansas uh, yeah there um, is VR thing yeah we spoke about that with Joachim and Dennis who is doing it when you can be ducks the duck perfect and, and speaking of that duck because everyone I, I talk to about Mutant Year Zero, they're so fascinated by that duck. And we, we even did an entire episode of, of this of pod ducks. about ducks. <laughs> That's what, what's the thing with ducks? I, I, in fact, the duck is, should not be in Mutant. No. Uh, the ducks were originally in Drakkar the Warner. There was mm. this little duck tribe. But the audience for our role-playing games in Swedish language were quite young. They were in middle grade. So I think when we brought out Mutant, the intention was to be sort of humoristic, a little bit Gardens of the Galaxy tone, but in Sweden. So the animals that you could play as mutants were really Swedish, like boars, moose, rabbits, whatever. 
never really ducks. I don't think we he published <laughs> ever a duck, uh, a duck mutant in the original game. Hmm. But now, looking at your trailer for the game, I think uh, the duck is you know ducks is the star for yeah, sure. Yeah. And I looked back at Duck and Mona, the video game that we put out in the late '90s, and there is the duck on the hmm. back page of that game. Schellenas Brun, Duck and Mona. And I wonder if Tom Ulsson was maybe part of doing the graphic design for that box. <laughs> and here's a funny anecdote, because when David Skarin, who is the lead designer, he came from IO Interactive, he set up Bearded Dragons, the mm. team that has programmed and developed uh, Mutant Year Zero. In his original pitch to me, he had done a little video of the three characters that are still in the game now. So Ducks, the Boar, Borman, and the Selma, they're sort of lurking around in the forest. And I was looking, why? What is this duck with a hi hat doing here? But it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. But it was not to me. And, and then I realized now, looking back at at Andrea and what you did with the traders, that mm. of course, for the middle graders who bought the 1984 game, if they play a duck in Drake and Water, why not play a duck in Mutants? Yeah, that's what role playing games are for: is you design yourself. And I'm, I'm, I'm now it's it's natural to me that there should be more ducks in uh, in Mutants. I like that. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> Nowadays, you live in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, when did you move there? I moved there. It's a long time ago now. It's almost 15 years ago. And why? Well, this was a time when the company I was working for and had founded um, Paradox, which came out of Target Games, which mm. was the publisher of all these role-playing games. We had uh, focused on video games, PC games, and we had some some tough times. We were going to do um, a Warzone online. Th- that team, we realized, of 30 or 40 people, we could never do this Warzone online. We were going to go bankrupt five times over. Mm. So we were forced to let them go. Five iterations later, they became Avalanche. Ah. Great guys, great uh, um, software developers. But we have a little PC team, and I'm you know, a little too big in this turkey coop. And we have... Uh, a big IP portfolio in the company, what should we do? One of those big IPs was Conan the Barbarian and all the Robert E. Howard stuff. So we decided to commercialize this, I have to go to Los Angeles. Not my favorite town at the time, but I've learned to really enjoy the city and it's beautiful. And um, after a couple of years, I thought it would be a couple of years. Hmm. But then after a couple of years, I just got sucked into into it. So I'm mostly working today on uh, IP development, worldwide television, feature film, uh, productions. Uh, I run a studio that also does, we do financing, production, management, and uh, consumer products. And consumer Mm. products, of course, includes my old target portfolio. Ah. Games like Mutant, Mutant Chronicles, Cult, all these Swedish um, IP that I'm very proud of and and very happy to see are very vibrant. I'm looking down here at Nordkrian. Uh, at the floor, we have a big Conan Exiles display, beautiful game. We have Kult from Helmgast being displayed. Um, Doom Trooper, the old collectible card game, is is back as a digital card game. And of course, you know, at the Goodbye Kansas, you can play Ducks. So, <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, so let's speak about Conan. Uh, how did you acquire those rights? It was funny. Um, I've acquired it twice, but the first time was in 2001, when the company realized, okay, we should do something after we let go of the Mutant uh, or the Mutant Chronicles Warzone online team. 
and the uh, IP portfolio was a little too Swedish at the time and a little too local. Mm. So the board said, Freda, can you do a list of, this is some IP we can buy, AAA IP, that's, that's you know, known outside of Scandinavia. Uh, and, and we did a list, and I put Conan on top of the list. I, I just like, what happened to that? Mm. You know, and then I think we did 50 characters. We started there, you know, where's, where's Conan? Where's Solomon Kane? Where's, uh, you know, Cull, Cull the Conqueror? It didn't really make the connection that so many of these 50 characters were created by Robert E. Howard in the 30s until later. At that time, all I could think of was, you know, Conan, I'm going to see where that is. Uh, it was Alta Vista at the time. It was before Google. Yeah. Uh, so I Alta Vista this and find that the character was actually for sale. It was for sale because it had been sold by the previous owners to a company that two months before I go up on Alta Vista had gone bankrupt. And if uh-huh. anything is in bankruptcy, it's in play. So I reached out to them uh, and we had... Um, about a, a year of negotiations, and then we purchased all the rights. So it's not a license. We actually bought the entire character, the copyrights, the trademarks, all forever the stories and forever and ever in, uh, throughout the universe and the galaxies <laughs> and the multi-universe. And, yes. So that's what we did. And that was back in 2002. We completed that purchase. And then came the, the feature film. Well, we were going to make a feature film uh, already in 2000 three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've gone through three studios who tried to make feature films. At that time, we were with the Wachowski brothers, and John Milius was going to co-direct with them. Then the Wachowski brothers dropped out, and then it was going to be Robert Rodriguez for a while, and then he dropped out, and it was going to be James Cameron for a while. Mm-hmm. And I got tired. My shareholders got tired. So we had to uh, take it away from Warner Brothers. Uh, that was a painful thing at the time, but we had to get a movie made. And there was this other studio that had been knocking on the door forever. Let, let's make it. Let's make it. Uh, that became the movie that we got into production in 2010, starring yeah. Jason Momoa as Conan the Barbarian. And then the rights reverted back to us after a year. And at that time, personally, I'd started to really see that in order to um, make a movie or a TV series the way you really want it, you have to basically put everything together yourself. You have to finance it, you have to be the studio. If you're not the studio, you can't complain of, you know, it looks this way or no, that no, way. Exactly. It's, that's, you know, that's the studio's uh, prerogative. So we decided to become, uh, go towards becoming our own studio. And that's uh, easier said than done. So that's been taking a while. But what happened during that time is the premium cable television programming has really, really become the choice du jour of entertainment uh, storytelling, especially for complex characters like this. Mm. So during the last couple of years, we shifted over to uh, the, the goal of really making this as a high budget premium television show, which ah. is where we are today. And, it, and that will happen. Yes. So what happened was we had um, put together, I had put together, a creative team with um, a showrunner who really loves the character. His name is Ryan Condal. I had followed him for several years. I've read his uh, original Hercules script. He's a big Conan fan. He came in with a fantastic pitch. At the same time, Miguel Sapochnik was on my radar even before Battle of the Bastards, he came in because he, want, he was also a Conan fan and wanted to do the feature film, Conan, which we were trying to set up at Universal. And his take was 
very different from Ryan's, but very good. Mm. So we put the two of them together, and both of them just gelled and came up with an amazing pitch, which we then said, let's not sell this to anybody else, but let's make this as our own production, together with Endeavor. So we partnered up uh, with Endeavor Content as a co-studio, mm. which means we control, but we also finance the whole show. And we developed the pilot, we went out in the marketplace, and Amazon uh, stepped up and, and licensed the show. So it will be a, a, an Amazon show, hopefully coming together so that we can go into production this year already. We uh -huh. have uh, been writing frantically since, um, since the deal closed with Amazon. And now we are, I think we're, we're almost there where we can see uh, where the show will go. It's a big show. It's $100 million for the first season. And we're planning multiple seasons, of course. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very excited because both Miguel, uh, our director, and Ryan, they really know the source material. But they're also professional and, and in touch with what the market of today requires. Because telling a story from, from the pulp days, uh, you have to be really clever how you yeah. adapt that into yeah. a modern audience. Hmm. And then you mentioned, obviously, Conan Exiles, the game. Uh, as you said, we, we're overlooking the booth yeah. where people can try. It was launched just like two days ago? Two days ago. Yeah. And how has it performed so far? Uh, well, they ran out of servers and then, uh, <laughs> you know, we, uh, everything was yelled at like we can't get into play and uh, it went straight up on the top five on the Steam charts. We see that it's uh, sold out on Amazon, on PlayStation and Xbox. So it's a very good success. It's been very stable. We haven't had that much crashes. And when I say we, it's my friends at uh, Funcom that have to do the 24-7 uh, yeah. standby. It's always critical when you do these big game launches because I think you have right now I think there's like 35,000 players at this moment playing the mm. game. Mm. So there's an immense stress on the technical capacity. So, uh, But looking very good. It's looking great. That's great. Good, but good. Kansas did the cinematic for it like two years ago or something. It's two years so ago. Uh, I remember flies. because uh, at that time it was really do or die for Funcom. They had yeah. a couple of of bad releases, had a management uh, exchange. It was really a turnaround uh, for them. And the new management came in with the idea of let's make a survival game like mm. Ark Rust, but Conan. Because they really know the property. We worked with them for 15 years on Age of Conan, so they, mm. they really know the character. Um, but they were basically going to die unless they had a big hit. So they decided to go into early access, which is a sort of a prepaid beta. Yeah. Uh, and to do that, they needed to have something which would put it on the map. People would believe that they could at least get something together. They said, we really like what Goodbye Kansas has done on the game trailers. Still early days for Goodbye mm. Kansas. Yeah. I think you guys had done some work, of course, for, uh, for DICE. Yeah, we were still called Black. Yes, well. you were still Black. Yeah. I think, and, and I knew Tom, so I introduced Tom to who's the producer over at Black at the time, yeah. to uh, Rui and uh, Martin Larsen, who was still with Funcom at the time. And uh, Goodbye Kansas saw the, well, first of all, of course, they, uh, Black had a, a, an amazing affinity for the character, loves, loves Conan too. So mm. they said, we can do this and we'll cut your deal, which I think was uh, what uh, Rui and the Funcom guys really uh, enjoyed that because mm. they could like push the payment a little bit. Yeah. But then I think everybody was blown away when they saw that cinematic trailer. Everybody said that's probably the best looking Conan ever. 
So kudos to uh, to Black. May they rest in peace or whatever. You say. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the artists are still That's are good. now within good vacancy. But I don't so. think uh, I think the artists. Some of them, of course, um, also some of those artists also had done previously. I think the Swedish Mutant Year Zero cinematic yes. for the paper role yeah, yeah. game, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So they, these artists uh, seem to have ingrained in their DNA mm. these characters. The Swedish and, well, Conan isn't Swedish, but I guess you could say he has a Swedish master. First, they took your family and your riches. Then they took your health and your pride. Finally, they left you to die. What will you do, Exile, when there is nothing left but to live or die? You're here at Nordsken also to uh, present a brand new prize, an award, the White Reindeer Award. What is that? It's, uh, it was Johan uh, Linder, who's the general of Nordsjön, and uh, Mika Stenmark, who has a long-standing relationship to me, myself, to Goodbye Cancer. He, he's a, he's a, a gaming-slash-pop culture legend in Sweden, I think. He's yeah. floating around in, in multiple genres and, and multiple platforms. So they came to me about a year ago and said, you know, we would like to have some kind of award which we would like you to present, or in your honor. And I thought about it, and uh, I felt like, I'm not sure, that sounds a little strange. But the funny thing was, there's something about the northern part of Scandinavia, mm. above the Arctic Circle, where you have the twilight, and you have yeah. these uh, uh, amazing views. It's something special. Um, and you can only know that when you've been here. I've been here once, and that was about 20 years ago, when I was traveling all the toy shops in Sweden to, uh, to sell Matant and other ah. games. And I recall that I really enjoy this place. It's very magic. And after that, in Hollywood, I saw a film a couple of years ago. I'm the uh, executive producer for a remake of the Swedish film Let the Right One In, oh, yeah. which we did with Matt Reeves in the US, and it's called Let Me In. It's very good. It's a very good um, uh, remake. Uh, the, first, the Swedish film is, of course, beautiful, so the, it was not easy to do a remake of, of something that's already beautiful, but I think Matt Reeves really nailed it. And that's a vampire film. So for a while, I was approached by a lot of people who wanted to set up different vampire-themed projects. And Finland's movie submission to Cannes in 1953 took the uh, Best Foreign Picture Award, and it was called The White Reindeer. And I never forgot it. It was a black and white movie about this beautiful reindeer mm. that's on the fjell, whatever, mm. on the mountaintops. And it just draws the, the young Sami hunters to follow it because it's a very, very big price if you, if you kill the white reindeer. Yeah. It's, it's got magic powers. I'm not going to tell you where the movie ends, but it's based on basically um, Sami old folklore you know they have the stallo creatures and they also have this 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 tale about the the white reindeer i'm not sure it's the best thing to chase that white reindeer but it was really for me a metaphor of what it's like to be an entrepreneur 
Mm. It's to chase a dream because the reindeer, of course, represents your dream. It's your goal. You want to do that kill. You have to get that reindeer. As an entrepreneur throughout the years, I've had that same feeling that whenever we've done whatever achievement it is we want to do, normally, personally, I've already got my eyesights on something else. So this is the frustration of being an entrepreneur, that you're never really fully satisfied. You no. always have to go to the next mountaintop. That's when I called uh, Michael uh, and, and Joanna said, you know what, I wouldn't mind if we could award entrepreneurs and create people who have done outstanding achievements in the creative arts. Mm. In this creative arts, what we have done, which was really um, belittled when I started working in the 80s with fantasy and genre material, um, it was very difficult. And it's not easy to be pushing the boundaries of whatever you do. So that's why we came up with the idea, why not um, have a prize, an award for an outstanding achievement in the creative arts, either by entrepreneurs or artists or any other individual who's contributed to um, the progress of the art, and have that being presented at Nordkrem. So this year we are basically announcing the award, mm. and over the next year we will collect the, the, the jury and a nominating committee uh. and try to put together a, a really good uh, system for this. So the first recipient of that one will be next year? Yes. Next Nordkrem? Yes. Exciting. So, last but not least, you, you have so many great characters in your stable, so to say. Which one is your favorite? One character or yeah. one IP. I, I, I love Matat. Matat is because I, that was my own baby. I was the, uh, we call it Project Leader, project manager, but yeah. I, now you would call it producer of that tabletop game. So I worked with the two uh, authors of that game and we really crafted it and it's very Swedish, it's very Nordic. So that's very close to me, but it's not one character. Uh, if one character, I, I really, I'm fascinated by a character called Solomon Kane. Mm -hmm. He's also created by Robert E. Howard, who created Conan the Barbarian. But Solomon Kane is very enigmatic. He's, I think it's one of his earliest characters. I think he started writing some Solomon Kane stories when he was 16 to 18 years old. Think of him as a 16th century Judge Dredd. <laughs> so he's a very scary guy. He's a pilgrim. Mm. And he's got the pilgrim hat. He's got a flint musket and a big rapier. And if you've done anything wrong, he will chase you to the end of the earth until you repent. He is God's angry warrior. <laughs> There's something very strange about that character that I like. That's great. Many thanks for coming, Fred. Thank you. And Good luck. See you again. Thank great. you. Bye. And you out there, thanks for listening. As usual, you can see clips from things we talked about at our webpage, goodbyecancerstudios.com. This was the last episode of season two, so now you have to survive without us until September when we will return with a third season filled with talks and discussions about the wonderful world of VFX animation, films and games. And if you have suggestions of topics we should talk about in season three, then do mail us. Until next time, goodbye, à bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wie hoch?